Hello and welcome back to the Unto Caesar podcast. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Reign of Terror. Of course, the title of the track is in French. I'm not going to embarrass myself by trying to pronounce it correctly. Um, it translates to Reign of Terror. Um, there's no lyrics to this song. It's completely instrumental. Uh, so let's dive right into the history, which is the best part. The French Revolution was a divisive, violent, and dramatic period of upheaval that took place in France from 1789 to 1799, which then gave way to the Napoleonic era and the expansion of the French Empire across Europe. Before diving into the reign of terror, let's discuss the systemic causes of the French Revolution. France was in a state of near economic collapse in the 18th century. They were enormously in debt, partially due to their assistance with the American Revolution and outrageous spending by the, mon by the monarchy. There was also extreme social inequality within French society between nobles, clergy, and commoners, and the lack of a strong functional government that failed to address problems that put such high pressure on the populace that it eventually became untenable. The French Revolution was led by a group of factions and figures who played various roles at different stages of the course of the Ten-Year Revolution. The Third Estate, or the National Assembly, which was made up by the commoners, the Jacobins, or the Republicans, who were in favor of the abolition of the monarchy, who were led by, and please forgive my pronunciation here, I'm going to butcher the hell out of this, by Maximilien Robespierre and Georges Danton. Jean-Paul Marat was a radical journalist and politician who helped shape public opinion in the early stages of the revolution. The Girondins were a moderate political faction who were majority leaders in the National Assembly, but were eventually sidelined by the more radical elements of, of the revolutionary forces. The Saint-Coulas were the common people of Paris who played a crucial role in the storming of the Bastille, and finally... Napoleon Bonaparte, who became the eventual emperor of France and waged war across the entire European continent and into Russia. The reign of terror was a particularly violent and radical phase of the revolution that lasted from September 1793 to July 1794. During this period, the revolutionary government was led primarily, and ironically, by the Committee of Public Safety under Maximilien Robespierre, who took extreme measures to suppress perceived enemies of a revolution both within and outside of France. The Reign of Terror had several key elements that made it unique. First and foremost was the aforementioned Committee of Public Safety, who are the executive government of France. It was initially created as a temporary body to deal with threats of foreign invasion and internal rebellion against the already present rebels, but later evolved into a central authority. The Law of Suspects was passed in 1793, which expanded the definition of quote-unquote enemies of the revolution to include not only those actively conspiring against the revolutionaries, but those who are insufficiently supportive of revolutionary ideas. The revolutionary government imposed severe economic and religious controls on France by setting price ceilings on grain and other staples to kneecap inflation, while also actively campaigning against the Catholic Church by closing churches and imposing restrictions on religious practice. Most famously, however, were the mass executions by the guillotine. The guillotine personified the reign of terror. It was viewed as an egalitarian method of execution, and thousands of people were executed without fair trial. King Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette and other nobles were executed summarily by and alongside commoners. The great irony of the Reign of Terror and the Robespierre government, who was deified, was that it enacted much of what it fought against. Civil liberties were largely suspended, and the law of suspects essentially created a surveillance state that made the random arrest of citizens under any circumstances legal. Violence and fear was the most important tool the Robespierre regime had 
at maintaining order, which led to thousands of deaths, many of whom had no proven involvement in counter-revolutionary activities. There was little to no room for moderate voices or a lowering of the temperature in public discourse. If an individual did not pass the purity test for an ideal revolutionary citizen, they would be arrested and likely killed. Power was centralized in an even more extreme way than it had been under the monarchy, which silenced the voice of the people and left policy decisions to the whims of Robespierre and his cronies. The reign of terror divided the French populace. It created a culture of fear, distrust, suspicion, and fanaticism that disregarded pluralism and individual freedoms. It was a period of unchecked authoritarianism and violence that tarnished the once noble ideals of the French Revolution that sought to bring about a more equal and free society, much like the one they had fought and paid to create in the United States. Unsurprisingly, the government collapsed in on itself due to the culture of suspicion, infighting, and leaders within Robespierre's government turning on each other. Eventually, the National Convention, or People's Government, arrested and condemned to death Robespierre and other key officials and moved to a more conservative government, which led to the creation of the Directory in 1795, a more pragmatic approach to governance compared to the Reign of Terror. Of course, even this would not last. Napoleon Bonaparte, who had enjoyed military successes in the Revolutionary Army, put down a royalist revolt in 1795 and won victories in Italy and Egypt, eventually led a coup that overthrew the Directory in 1799, which led to the consulate government of France, Napoleon being first consul in 1799, and his being crowned Emperor of France in 1804 after consolidating power and ending the French Republic. The Napoleonic era would last for 16 years and would lead to a very rough estimate of about 2.5 to 3.5 million military deaths before its conclusion and Napoleon's exile to the island of St. Helena. Despite the extreme volatility of the French Revolution and the sheer lack of a functioning state for some time, there were major consequences for not only the French but also for the rest of the world. While this piece is not primarily about Napoleon, you cannot mention one without the other, as Bonaparte was a direct outcome cultivated by war-torn France. The French Revolution ended absolute monarchy in France. There would be monarchs after the Napoleonic Age, but their power was significantly reduced. As with most revolutions, especially the ones I've mentioned here, a sense of devout national identity was cultivated by the revolutionaries. The French public, not just the nobility and those in power, had a distinctive conceptualization of what it meant to be French, and this pattern would continue to burgeoning states around the world. The Napoleonic Code abolished the feudal privileges in France, a system that stretched back roughly to the year 800. The idea of a French democratic society would go through several iterations before becoming stable and similar to the French system of government we see today, but these ideas began in the mid to late 18th century. Church power declined significantly in France which is arguably one of the most shocking outcomes to me personally. France had been the brightest jewel in the papal mitre for centuries. In the 1300s, the papacy, though contested, was moved to Avignon in southern France. All of this is not to mention the dramatic cultural impact the revolution had on the populace. It encouraged intellectual and artistic expression by an outpouring of literature, art, and music that reflected the changes taking place around France. Napoleon himself directed many of these changes with a fervor and a pride that had seldom been seen in French society before. His relentless wars across all of Europe redrew borders of European nations, and after his defeat they were redrawn again by the victors. After his final defeat and exile, the British, who were but a part of the European armies arrayed against Napoleon, albeit a significant one, rose to true 
global dominance. With France recovering from the defeat of Napoleon and scrambling to put the state back together financially and politically, the British Empire, relatively unchallenged, went on to become the largest empire the world has ever known. Whether or not Marie Antoinette ever flippantly said, let them eat brioche, note the word brioche, not cake, uh, which there's no evidence that she actually ever did, she and Louis XVI could never have envisioned what would come from their execution and the enormous geopolitical upheaval the French Revolution would have on the rest of the world. And that's the end of the uh, written text in the book. I have to say, I didn't really know a lot about this topic prior to uh, uh, researching it for um, this work. So it was really exciting to kind of understand uh, what led up to the rise of of Napoleon and how he came to power and why. Um, I'm much more familiar with the Napoleonic campaigns in Spain and across uh, Eastern Europe and into uh, Russia. And of course, um, his naval conflict with Britain at Trafalgar and then his eventual defeat at, at Waterloo. But um, what actually led to that and what led to the, the termination of the monarchy um, is really interesting. The parallels between the American Revolution and the French Revolution are, are hard to ignore. And um, monarchies across Europe were incredibly nervous after uh, Louis XVI was executed. Monarchs had been executed prior to this. It just is incredibly uncommon, and especially um, in one so well-established as the French monarchy. So uh, it kind of uh, put everybody on edge and especially Napoleon, after he began to invade his known world, uh, monarchical societies felt a very special inclination to put him down because of everything that he stood for aside from the invasion of their territory. They did not want the ideas of the French Revolution to spread into Russia, into Britain, into Spain. Um, and Napoleon could have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for those damn kids and their dog uh had he not continued to push so hard into russia it's very likely that the world would look different today it's really hard to to say one way or the other and we would never know how long a napoleonic empire would have lasted like most empires it would have fallen eventually but um had he not committed so much of his force in Russia and wintered in Moscow and then walked back to France uh, in the dead of winter, things could look very different for us now. And I don't think he would have been been as easily defeated um, toward the end of his uh, regime. And also the most insane thing about this is that he was exiled once and he talked his way back into power and then fought another war and then once defeated at Waterloo, he was exiled again and finally died on the island of St. Helena. So, yeah, I really encourage people to investigate the life of Napoleon. Uh, he, is our, he is easily one of the most interesting people that has ever lived. Very Roman or very pseudo-Roman. You know, he reenacted the, the eagle uh, crest as his emblem and his armies bore a standard with the eagle on it. Uh, it's funny how... Rome and thereby Greece creeps back into just about everything. But um, yeah, very interesting period of time that I didn't know a lot about prior to doing this album. I did want to comment uh, on a few things about the music itself. I kind of let the cat out of the 
bag here a little bit. Um, a lot, uh, this was the first time that I had ever really composed anything that was this uh, cinematic feeling that was like all the way through. It was very like just loud and in your face and had the drums and had the choir and the violins kind of like arpeggiating. And um, most of that would not have been possible without the tools that I use. And so the, the way that I did that is I uh, found a chord progression that I liked on acoustic and then I'll take that and program it into MIDI and then play with the instrumentation a little bit. But uh, the arpeggiating tools that are available in something like Omnisphere or even in Studio One make my job really easy. Uh, they make it possible for, for me to come up with patterns or uh, like just um, variations in progressions that would normally be fairly boring because I kind of stick to, to the same few progressions and I usually or especially in in the same few keys at least a minor being probably the main one and I don't do a lot of variation in uh, BPM but on on this album I did a lot of that so it's kind of every song is different um, I think the key of every song is different which was really out of my comfort zone, but none of that was possible without such powerful tools like Omnisphere, like Keyscapes, um, and Studio One as the DAW really make uh, being creative out of your comfort zone feel comfortable, which I think is really important because I'm not a terrific guitar player. I'm not a terrific bass player. I, I sure as hell can't play violin or piano in real life, you know, so having tools that make that more possible is everything none of this could have happened without that and for that matter i don't have access to a a full choir that i can direct at every turn so um th i think this is my favorite track on the whole thing so i'm excited about it and hope you guys enjoy it too that's it for this one we'll see you next time thanks <laughs>